Jesus, and so we're glad for Brother and Sister Azzalini, and I don't know, their children may be downstairs or, or somewhere, but uh, <coughs> glory. Good to have Brother Vinny. Let's give him a hand. Lord bless him. Amen. Well, I love what I feel in the house already. Amen. And what I feel is Jesus. Yes. And I'm so glad that he showed up to church today. Makes you glad that you showed up to church today. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me for the reading of the word this morning? We're going to be reading out of the book of John chapter 14 and the book of Acts chapter 1. While you're turning there, just want to give honor to your pastor and first lady. Love and appreciate them so much. Uh, they have been such a blessing to my wife and I and to our family. And uh, words could just not express the gratitude that we have for them. How many of you love your pastor? Amen. Amen. And really, that's, that's what I feel today. My heart is just overwhelmed with gratitude. I was standing over here worshiping just a few minutes ago, and my heart was just so filled with gratitude. And I, and I looked out across this sanctuary here today, and I, and I thought, you know, I don't know a lot of these peoples, but every one of these people have a story. Every one of them walked in here with a testimony. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful to be in the house of the Lord today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. John chapter 14, verses 8 and 9. John 14, verses 8 and 9. And then we will turn to the book of Acts and read Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. If you have it, say amen. If you're cheating and looking at the screen, say amen. Amen. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? And if you turn with me now to the book of Acts, chapter 1 and verse 3, or direct your attention to the screen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. It was uh, back in the spring that the Lord began to highlight something to me here in this scripture and began to lay this, this text upon my heart and formulate a, a message. And it's, it's just been over a course of months that here and there, a little by little, God would give me something to add to this. And so I, I feel like this is one of those messages that will always be a work in progress and always be changing and evolving depending on where I go and where I preach it. But it's just on my heart today. And so with the help of the Lord, I want to preach to you infallible proofs, infallible proofs. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. We're so thankful, Lord, for your holy visitation in this house here today. I pray that you would anoint me to preach your word to your people, that your word would go forth with clarity, with anointing, and with power. Lord, release the ministry of the word and the spirit in this house here today. God, I pray that great faith would arise, Lord, as your word begins to go forth. Lord, I pray that there would be a 
spot stirred in the hearts of your people here today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. Infallible proof. Infallible proof. Uh, such a powerful uh, word. Such a powerful descriptor of proof. Infallible proof is proof that cannot be disputed. Proof that cannot be argued with. Proof that can not be proven wrong. And here in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, we find Jesus coming back to his disciples after he is risen from the dead. And the Bible says he shows himself to them by many infallible Proofs, proofs that cannot be disputed. We'll come back to that in just a few moments. Uh, but I want to tell you uh, a little story. When I was young, uh, and when I was growing up, I didn't have, you know, very many worries. And, and when I was just a child, I didn't really have uh, any identity issues as a young child. And uh, I didn't care about how I looked or, or how I dressed or who my friends were or what brand of clothes that I had on. In fact, as long as my basic needs were taken care of, there was really only one thing that I cared about, and that was the approval of my parents. I wanted mom and dad to be happy with me. I wanted them to love me and care about me. And this desire to be affirmed and accepted by our parents is in all of us, especially at an early age in life. And, and our kids do things that show us this desire all the time. They do things to impress us or, or grab our attention. They scribble on a piece of paper and call it art. And they show it to you and they expect you to be happy about it. They do their interpretation of an acrobatic performance and, and they call it a trick. And they say, look what I can do. And they expect you to applause and be very happy with the very unimpressive trick that you just witnessed. And, you know, I, I remember at family gatherings, all the cousins and kids would get together and they'd say, hey, we're going to put on a play for the adults. And they'd come into the room and they'd put together some little skit or play and, and the parents would sit there and they would endure the nightmare. Why? Because they love their kids. They love their kids and they want their kids to feel accepted and validated by their affirmation. Now, I found out just through living that as we get older and we begin to transition into our adolescent years, we care less about what our parents think and more about what our peers think. This is often a difficult season as young people, including myself, begin to change their appearance or change the way that they talk or change the activities that they're engaged in, all for the purpose of gaining the acceptance or affirmation of their peers. Their, their desire for affirmation begins to shift from their parents to their peers. And adolescents can go through a lot of phases when they get to this stage in life. I went through a lot of phases when I went through this stage in life. This was the point in my life where I felt like I began to struggle a little bit with 
my identity. I, I wanted the affirmation of my peers, and so I began to uh, change the way that I look. All of a sudden, my pants got a little bit bigger, and, uh, and my hat, for some reason, turned around on my head, and it was always backwards, and, and, and the way that I talked began to change, and, and, and mom and dad began to notice these changes, and, and these things beginning to change in my life, and what was I doing? I was seeking to please my peers. I was seeking to fit in, to gain their acceptance, to gain their acceptance. And I went through a lot of phases. I went through the hip-hop phase. I went through the hip-hop phase, and that was a scary phase. And thank the Lord, it was short-lived. I, I, I went through the athletic phase, and, and I found out very quickly that there was a dry well when it came to skill, I just it just wasn't there. It didn't matter how, how far down I reached, it just wasn't there. And then I I uh, I landed on something that that was very surprising. I found out I was like, well, I, I I I'm not really fitting into the hip hop crowd. I'm not really fitting into the athletic crowd. And and then uh, I grew up in the '90s, and so there was another crowd in the '90s called the grunge crowd. Does anybody remember the grunge crowd? And you know the grunge crowd. They basically just rolled out of bed in the morning, didn't really do anything, listened to bad music, and were lazy. And I thought, now this is a group that I can fit in with. This is a group that I can fit in with. And so I became part of the grunge crowd. I was trying to find a group that would affirm me, that would accept me. Because acceptance gives us access to the heart. Acceptance and affirmation allows us to get in a place where we open up ourselves and are able to share and be vulnerable and, and, and expose who we really are to those around us. And we give them access to our heart. When I read this scripture in John and Philip is asking Lord, show us the Father. Show us the Father. I couldn't understand why after three and a half years of walking with Jesus, this man still had doubt as to who he was. In that time frame, his disciples had experienced a lot. They had gone through a lot. They had seen deliverance happen before their eyes as Jesus sailed in that boat and landed on the shores and found that demoniac and cast out the devils. And all of a sudden they, they saw this man who had a reputation for having lost his mind and being crazy. And, and the Bible says that he was clothed and in his right mind. They saw deliverance happen before their eyes. They witnessed Miracles happen all of the time. Jairus' daughter being healed. Blind Bartimaeus receiving his sight. There were so many things that Philip had seen in his journey with Jesus. But yet he still had doubt. He watched the supernatural happen as Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb. And, and, and I thought, I'm like, how could you be there and still have doubt as to who Jesus was? For three years, Jesus did everything he could to convince them that he was the Messiah. 
They had relationship with him. They experienced the fulfillment of prophecy with him. They traveled with him everywhere that he went. But Jesus understood that for him to be able to save them, they had to accept him because acceptance grants access to the heart. They had to believe that he was the Messiah. They had to believe that he was the fulfillment of the law. They had to believe that he was the evidence of prophecy of old. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. But after three and a half years, one of his disciples was still asking, Show us the Father. After three years of evidence... After three years of proof, after three years of relationship, there was still doubt as to who he was. As I began to pray about this and ponder this and read through the scriptures, there was something that dawned on me one day in prayer. I began to think about Philip and these disciples and all the things that they had witnessed, all the things that they had gone through, all the things that they had seen and experienced for themselves. But there was one thing that they had never seen. There was one thing that separated Jesus from them. There was one thing that they, that they were not quite able to identify with. They had seen him do miracles. They had seen him administer deliverance and healing. But they had never seen him have to recover from some of the things that they had to recover from. They had never seen him experience the destruction of sin in his own life. They had never seen the effects of condemnation and, and him have to come back and bounce back from, from the effects of shame and condemnation in his own life. They had never seen him make a mistake and have to recover from that mistake. They had never seen Sin tear apart his life the way it had torn apart so many of their lives. Stay with me this morning. Jesus knew that mankind would need that kind of proof to believe that he was the Messiah. Proof that was not able to be disputed, proof that was not up for argument, proof that was infallible. So he did something that no one had ever done before. In his innocence, in his sinlessness, he took the price of our sin and he put it on himself. Isaiah 53 and 5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. When he was crucified, when he was beaten, when he went through everything he went through leading up to the cross, he felt desperation for relief. 
Every time they put stripes on his back with the whip. He felt the sting of our shame when they pushed that crown of thorns on his head. He felt the agony of betrayal when they drove those nails in his hands. He experienced the pain of bondage when they nailed his feet to that cross. He perceived the anguish of our torment when they put that spear in his side. And he discerned the helplessness of our iniquity when they bruised him. But after all that, three days later, he walked out of the grave. Sin couldn't stop him. Shame couldn't condemn him. Condemnation couldn't control him. And the tomb could not hold him. He walked out of that grave by many infallible proofs showing the world that the wages of sin which is death could not stop the almighty God. His resurrection power is the greatest infallible proof that he is alive and working in our lives today. Acts goes on to say in verse 4, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. He was saying, wait here. I'm going to give you something that you didn't have before. Verse 8 tells us what it is. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. He said, I'm going to give you power over death. And with this power, you are going to be a witness that my resurrection power is still at work after my ascension. He was telling them, wait here. Because the thing that separated us before, the thing that caused Philip to doubt, the power of my spirit that enabled me to go to the cross uh, and overcome sin, uh, I'm going to give it to you. Uh, I'm going to give you infallible proof uh, to show the world who I am. Uh, I'm going to give you newness of life uh, and resurrection power. See, he saw the system that they were living in, a system of atonement. Every year, they would come to the temple with their sins, and the priest would offer a blood sacrifice, and all it would really do is just delay their sentencing for the mistakes that they had made. He said, atonement isn't going to work anymore. We're going to move past atonement, and we're going to move into resurrection power. I'm not going to make it just so your sins are pushed away. I'm going to make it so your sins are washed 
away. And not only are your sins going to be washed away, but I'm going to give you power so that you can conquer sin in your own life. So that when shame knocks on the door, when condemnation comes against you, when the destruction of a sinful life tries to destroy you, you're going to have a power that you didn't have before to rise up and live a life free from sin and bondage and fear and destruction. Jesus walks in the room with scars on his hands, a scar on his side. He walks in with the evidence that he suffered the pain of sin. He walked in with the proof that he had overcome the destruction that sin brings upon a life. When miracles weren't enough to prove that he was the father. When bringing Lazarus from the dead wasn't enough to show them that he was the father. When healing the demoniac wasn't enough to show them that he was the Messiah. He said, I know what will show you. I'm going to take the destruction of sin upon my own life and I'm going to overcome it and I'm going to show you this is the greatest proof of a belief. Listen to me, friend. The Bible says that there were times when he did miracles, but they didn't believe. They thought, hey, this can be replicated. This can be duplicated. This can be mimicked. But you know what can't be mimicked? Your testimony. When you walk into the house of God and say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was bound, but now I'm free. There is no denying the infallible proof in the life of a backslider that comes home. There is no denying the infallible proof of a believer who rises every day and lives above the threshold of sin. It says it may be all around me, but I'm going to live free from it. I'm going to live above it. I'm going to be more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. Listen, friend, we've all made mistakes. We've all slipped. We've all stumbled. We've all fell. And what the enemy does is he convinces us to cover up those mistakes, cover up that shame, cover up that condemnation. Don't let anybody know that you failed. Don't you go telling anybody your story because they'll just condemn you. They'll just judge you. They'll pass judgment on your past. They'll pass judgment on the mistakes that you made this week. But Jesus said, no. 
when you walk in the room, you just show them, look, I once was this way, but now I'm Oh, you ain't hearing me this morning. Listen, uh, the Lord showed them uh, that the scars on his hands uh, and the scars uh, that sin had left uh, on his body uh, were the greatest proof uh, that he was the Messiah. The devil's trying to get you to cover up uh, the greatest proof uh, that ever walked the earth. Uh, he wants you to live in shame uh, and condemnation. But Jesus says, go ahead uh, and tell them your story. Uh, go ahead uh, and tell them what you came out of. Uh, go ahead uh, and share uh, the shame uh, that you came out of. Uh, it's the infallible proof uh, that I am uh, the almighty God. Uh, Acts 1.8 tells us that we should be witnesses. Being a witness is not just someone who shares their testimony. See, Jesus knew that some of us, even though we were under a mandate to do so, would not share our testimony verbally. So he decided not to depend on our obedience to witness, but rather to put his evidence on display. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. This is talking about Paul. This is Paul speaking. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all expectation, acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He was saying, look, I was one of the worst sinners that ever walked the earth. Everybody knew who I was. I persecuted the Christians. I was guilty of murder. There were things that I did that were known all throughout the land. I was the chiefest of sinners. How be it for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering for a pattern to them that should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Saul, who was also called Paul, said, I was the chiefest of sinners. Everyone knew who Saul was. They knew that he persecuted the Jews. They knew that he was guilty of heinous crimes against followers of Jesus. The Bible says he did much evil to the saints in Jerusalem. Everybody knew who he was and what he believed. Paul says in these verses in Timothy, it was because of my notoriety that Jesus chose to show me mercy and a pattern of long-suffering so that everyone that heard him would believe in life everlasting. You may wonder why your mess is on display. I'm going to tell you why it's on display. It's on display for his glory. Because he's going to show. He wants to use that mess. To show people around you. That he is at work in your life. You may wonder God. Why is all this chaos going on? And everybody can see it. I'll tell you why. He's using it as a testimony. For those that are looking on. He's going to say I'm going to get glory in that situation I'm going to get glory in that storm you're going to be an infallible proof to my goodness and my mercy and my power 
all expounded on this thought again in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He said, do we begin again to commend ourselves or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. People are reading your life for as much as you are manifestly. That means you are openly. People can see it for as much as you are openly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. When you got a need and the resources dry up and everybody knows that you're in a struggle, watch out. He's getting ready to show everybody huh, that he's Jehovah Jireh, huh, your provider. Come on, when you're sick and everybody knows you've been suffering and the doctor doesn't have an answer, he's getting ready to use you to show the world that he's still Jehovah Rapha, your healer. When chaos breaks out in your life and people see you weeping and people see you suffering and you can't seem to get your mind together, you just hold on. He's getting ready to show off and let everybody know he's Jehovah Nisi. Mm. Listen, I, I know that when we come into the king's court and we put on our suits and our ties and, and we dress up, and I, and I believe in that when you're in the presence of the king, you need to bring your best. I'm good with that. When Mephibosheth sat at the king's table, he was handicapped. But when he sat at the table, you couldn't see his infirmity. But when dinner was over, he got up and walked out of the building and everybody could see, hey, you know what? If he can sit in the king's court, if he can eat at the king's table, then so can I. You don't have to cover up the things that have happened to you. You can be open and transparent and say, I eat at the king's table on Sunday. But Monday through Saturday, I'm going to share my story. I'm going to let everybody know my infallible proofs. <laughs> I stand before you today in infallible proof to the goodness and mercy and greatness and saving power of the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you right now, psychologists weren't able to do it for me. Counsel from this world wasn't able to do it for me. But the blood of Jesus was able to do it for me. When addiction had me bound, when drugs and alcohol had me in the gutter, there was nothing this world had 
that could help me. But the name of Jesus pulled me from my sin. I'm an infallible proof. I began evangelizing a couple years ago and even to date I do most of my preaching in Ohio I remember that was bothering me for a little while I couldn't understand why I preached in Ohio so much I said Lord there's 49 other states some have oceans. I said, I'll go wherever. I said, Lord, why, why do I preach in Ohio so much? I said, I'll tell you why. I said, because people know you in Ohio. I said, they watched when you walked away at 18 years old. They watched. As sin began to ensnare your life. They watched as the destruction of this world uh, began to rain down uh, upon your family and upon your world. Uh, I'll tell you why you preach in Ohio. Uh, because you're my infallible proof uh, to every backslider, uh, to every wayward saint, uh, to every prodigal son. Uh, that they can come back uh, and be restored uh, on any given Sunday. Uh, you're my infallible proof uh, that it doesn't matter matter huh, what kind of mistakes that you have made huh, or what you have gone through. Huh, I have restoration huh, and healing huh, and reconciliation huh, for whosoever will. <coughs> I want to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to come to a close here this morning. I remember I was eight years old. I was going to church in Cincinnati, Ohio, Brother Pasley's church, and service had ended. As a matter of fact, altar call was over, church was dismissed. There was something in me that was stirred on that Sunday. And I wanted to be baptized in Jesus' name. And so we were walking to the car, and I said, Mom, I said, I want to get baptized. Church was over. Mom's like, okay, well, you know, we'll get it done. We'll sit down, we'll talk about it. I said, No, Mom, I want to be baptized right now. said okay took me by the hand brought me back in the sanctuary the pastor came in baptized me I didn't understand it perhaps to the extent that I do today but on that day the name of Jesus was inscribed upon my life when I was baptized in Jesus name and a few years later I was in an altar after service and the Lord filled me with the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues I was 12 years old it's funny all of that happened 
before I became an adolescent. Happened before I thought I was vanilla ice. Happened before I tried to be an athlete or fit into the grunge crowd. I left church when I was 18 years old for about seven years. I was in a lot of places with a lot of people. No matter where I was, I never fit in. No matter what I did, I never quite fit into the crowd that I was trying to hang out with. Because I forgot something. It didn't matter how I changed my appearance or how I changed my speech. His blood purchased me when I was eight years old. And so it didn't matter who I would hang out with. I was never going to fit in to this world. No matter what I posed as, I could never cover up my sonship. Philip said, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Church, I want to challenge you here today. I hear that same cry in the world all around us every day. They're saying, show us the Father. Show us who really knows Him. Show us what's really genuine. Show us the way out. Show us a hope that is real. Show us a deliverance that is authentic. Show us a healing that is genuine. Show us the Father. I believe in this house here today that the author and finisher of our faith is asking for the pen back from somebody. And he's saying, would you just allow me to finish your story? Because I'm going to make you an infallible proof I'm going to make you one of the greatest testimonies that this world has ever seen. So this morning, I'm going to open up this altar. And I'm going to invite you to come. And no matter where you are in your walk with God here today, I want you to know that he is beckoning you to come because he wants to write the ending to your story. Church, would you begin to make your way down?